This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for the last 30 years and I'm so delighted to bring you Self Work. Me and my team, John Crowley and Christine Mathias, got to really have a great time a couple of episodes ago, bringing in the eighth anniversary of self-work. As I said in my last week's episode, you are the lifeblood of self-work. So thanks for being here. Talking about narcissism has become somewhat of a national pastime in the U.S. at least. Everyone is calling someone who used them or who they felt manipulated by a narcissist. And perhaps they are or were. But what exactly is narcissism and how is it different than healthy self-esteem? Could it be on a spectrum or can it ever be helpful? Is it necessary to have a bit of it to truly love yourself? But how does humility play to this? Or is that weakness? I've seen some dramatic examples in the last few years of things going wrong for my clients when the focus on self and the need to be and look successful has led to a huge escalation of depression, sometimes silent as in perfectly hidden depression, due to way over the top feelings of failure, rather than allowing whatever happened to be an example of making a mistake and learning from it, or of life handing you some hard, even cruel or tragic experience. In our fairly self-focused world, or for many would be very self-focused, this kind of acceptance can be punitively described as accepting failure, a big no, instead of what humility truly is, recognizing your true place in the universe, not buying in too much to your successes, your desires, or your failings. In my book, humility is the moderating factor to prevent narcissism from becoming destructive and instead using it to promote self-esteem and self-love rather than self-worship or self-centeredness. But humility can often be replaced by shame. Those two things are very, very different, and that's the topic for today. The listener email today, I have five very tangible things I'm going to offer. It's about finding out about a spouse's affair with a work colleague and how to discuss whether the spouse should leave that workplace or not. It's a sticky discussion and one I've witnessed many times in my office as a couple tries to balance regaining trust with other factors like financial stability. People have tried some very unhealthy solutions, which have only created more distrust, not less. Regaining and rebuilding trust can be a full-time job, but months of hypervigilance isn't going to be helpful. So I hope you'll stick around. I really love this discussion. Before we go on, let's hear from Magnesium Breakthrough. You know, I ran out of this when I went on my last vacation, and I couldn't wait to get back on. It really helps in relaxation and sleep, and I recommend it all the time to my clients who have trouble sleeping. Magnesium Breakthrough. hope you truly enjoyed some time with family and friends this summer and got to take a break from the daily grind and enjoy your life. Perhaps you've indulged a bit on ice cream to beat the heat or a margarita or two. Gosh, lots of indulgence may become the norm, but now kids are back in school and it's time to get back on track. If you struggle to return to your health routine, there are three major things to prioritize. Healthy eating, exercise, and above all, quality sleep. Because sleep 
is the key to your body's rejuvenation and repair process. It actually controls hunger and weight loss hormones, boosts energy levels, and it impacts countless other functions. That's why I take magnesium daily, but not any supplement. I got Magnesium Breakthrough because it's just better. It's made by by optimizers, and I highly recommend it. It has seven forms of magnesium designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. And guess what? If you get more sleep, you're going to find out that your healthy eating and exercise may be a little easier to do. So visit magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork. Don't forget to enter code SELFWORK10 for 10% off any order. Once again, it's magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork. So we're starting our eighth season of self-work with a bang. Thanks so much for being here. Don't forget, I'd love to hear your questions and comments at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com or through the SpeakPipe app that you can find in each episode's show notes or on my website, DrMargaretRutherford.com. It's real easy to find. It's right up on the left. Several years ago, when I first talked about healthy narcissism, I was intensely criticized by a woman who writes a lot about narcissism and has obviously been seriously hurt by someone with a disorder in probably its most severe form. She told me I was being unethical, even to combine those two words in one sentence, healthy and narcissism, and was blatantly disregarding the damage that unhealthy narcissism can cause. So... I want to begin today's episode by reassuring everyone listening, I personally have been the target for someone with unhealthy narcissism, and I've certainly seen the deeply entrenched pain that years of manipulation, gaslighting, as well as the destructive roller coaster of the highs of feeling intensely loved with the lows of severe contempt, disdain, and abandonment. I've seen what that can do. I get it. There was a great graph in a Psych Central article written by Hilary Lebow or Lebo. I found it and it really laid this out with concrete examples, so let's go over it quickly. Healthy narcissism, for example, is that you feel proud to talk about your accomplishments in a job interview. So again, it's the appropriate context and you're saying, I'm proud of what I've achieved. Whereas unhealthy narcissists often talk over others to boast about their accomplishments at a dinner party. Here's another great concrete example, healthy narcissism. You ask a friend in publishing if they can offer guidance on writing an article. Normal. But an unhealthy narcissist? You pretend to befriend someone for their resources and industry connections. Okay? Healthy. You attempt to repair relationships when you've hurt other people. Unhealthy. You believe your behaviors are justified and that others are at fault. And last... Healthy is you feel appreciative when others offer compliments on your appearance or your work. Unhealthy, you consistently seek new ways to receive validation from others, constantly needing validation. The list, I think, makes it apparent that if your confidence or belief or love for yourself is balanced by concern for others, believing in yourself but not needing to convince others of your superiority, so when it's accompanied by humility then that can make the difference between how you can build your own positive self-esteem without lapsing or falling into the need to disdain or be critical of others so that you can achieve what you're wanting to achieve or feel what you're needing to feel. 
So perhaps it's obvious by now that I think the trait that is most important for this distinction between what is healthy self-belief and narcissistic self-aggrandizement is humility, just simple humility. But that's another word that can hold a lot of angst for some people. So after we hear from BetterHelp, we'll talk about the role of humility, what it truly means, and how to incorporate it into your own sense of competence and looking out after what's good for you. I recently heard a fascinating reframe for the idea of asking for help. Maybe you view asking for help as something someone does who's falling apart or who isn't strong. So consider this. What if asking for help means that you won't let anything get in your way of solving an issue, finding out an answer, or discovering a better direction? Asking for help is much more about your determination to recognize what needs your attention or what is getting in your way of having the life you want. Better help. The number one online therapy provider makes reaching out about as easy as it can get. Within 48 hours, you'll have a professional licensed therapist with whom you can text, email, or talk with to guide you. And you're not having to comb through therapist websites or drive to appointments. It's convenient, inexpensive, and readily available. Now you can find a therapist that fits your needs with BetterHelp. And if you use the code or link betterhelp.com slash selfwork, you'll get 10% off your first month of sessions. So just do it. You'll be glad you did. That link again is betterhelp.com slash selfwork to get 10% off your first month of services. Country singer Tim McGraw had a mega hit back in January of 2016, Humble and Kind. At first, frankly, I thought it was pretty schmaltzy, but when I stopped to think about the divisions in our culture, the growing self-importance of many leaders, I kind of changed my mind, even if it is a little schmaltzy. Here are the lyrics to the chorus. Hold the door, say please, say thank you, don't steal, don't cheat, and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When the dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. So what does that mean? He's saying, feel proud. Allow your accomplishments or what you've really tried to do well, whether that be a good parent or a great plumber or a superb athlete, no matter what, don't forget humility. What exactly is humility? Sadly, it's been overly touted as weakness or the act of being or taking a meek stance, of being more fragile than others. It's far from that. Some of this seems to come from its interpretation in a religious or spiritual sense. But humility, as I view it in people that are claiming their competence while also maintaining this humility, is far, far different than being meek. In a recent article appearing in Psych Today, these points were really made well by Dr. Demetrios Satiris. He lists three major positives of humility. One, you're open to the feedback of others and realize all you have is your perspective and you definitely have blind spots. We all do. I'll use myself as an example. I already told you about the woman who was very critical of my use of the term healthy narcissism. So in what I hoped at the time was an effort at learning and reaching out, I asked her to talk with me privately about her concerns. She never got back to me. It was my effort to say, you know, I can learn from you if you'll talk to me calmly. I think 
that's humility. I could have learned something from her that I didn't know, and I'm kind of sad she didn't talk to me. Here's number two from Dr. Satiris, a point that is very much a part of this episode. He points out that humility can keep you from making huge swings between narcissism and shame. What do I mean? Narcissism, the unhealthy or abnormal kind, can lead you to believe and need to prove that you're very special and others need to see that. Feeling shame on the opposite end of the spectrum when you feel excessive amounts of it can lead you to regarding yourself as not a worthy human being or horribly flawed. So what a sense of humility can do is keep your own worth in perspective. You make mistakes. You don't get everything right. So you don't have to be incredibly important and special, and nor are you a piece of dirt on the road. Number three, humility helps you build strong, trusting bonds with others. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. You accept an apology, and you give one. You build trust and respect not by demanding your way, but by saying what's important to you and what you think, while also taking others' feelings or thoughts into account. So what am I saying about humility? I think it's the bridge between a strong sense of belief in yourself, of self-competence and loving yourself, with an acceptance of understanding that that competence, that belief, must be balanced with empathy and caring and respect for others. There's a question I like to ask myself when I'm searching for that balance. It's how I try to stay focused on and claim the strengths I have with the knowledge and awareness that I have much to learn. And it's a simple question. To me, it's a helpful way to try to remain humble while steering clear of what can be paralyzing shame. Especially if I've done something or made some bad decision or choice that I'm really struggling with. And I ask my clients this question often when they look at me and say something like, why did I do this again? And I ask of myself or of them, What are you still needing to learn? It puts them, and sometimes me, in the role of student or learner, not the one who has to know it all or be right or always be perfect, but be humble and realize you're still learning. So the question is, what am I still needing to learn? It's a humble question. I hope this has been helpful. And as Tim McGraw would say, When the dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. Today, we have a very poignant question from a listener who needs to honor her own feelings, but is having a huge problem with an emotional affair between her husband and his boss. I'll read her email to self-work. Hello. I've been having a gut feeling since January that something was wrong. I recently searched my husband's phone records and confronted him about them. He's come to terms with the fact that he's having an emotional affair with his boss. He's saying he wants to do what it takes to make everything right, and he's doing a great job. Unfortunately, he really doesn't want to leave his job. He's been there for 13 years and is recently going to management training and wants to finish that out. I'm not sure what to do. I think I can make the marriage work, but I'm afraid I can't handle them working together. He 100% didn't respond well to me, giving him an ultimatum. I'm sure he didn't. Thanks for all your help. 
I was so glad this listener emailed because this is one of the stickiest issues I see in resolving and regaining trust after an affair. First and foremost, I'm really delighted that this spouse is admitting that an emotional affair is a breach of trust. I've had lots of people disagree with me about that. And so it needs to be addressed as such. Sex may not have been had, although it does make me think of how much denial someone can have about what constitutes sex, and there's some famous examples of that, but he's taking it seriously, and as she said, is doing a great job of what it takes to make everything right. Now, at this juncture, I want to tell you, I'll include a couple of links to what I believe are the very necessary steps to heal from an affair in the show notes. So you can look for those if you want to know what my experience has taught me about what's necessary. That may be a podcast. It also may just be a blog post. But take a look. Yet this issue of how being on the job with the other person is going to affect further healing is a tough one. Yes, he's in line for a promotion and likely financial upgrade, but she then has to cope with the idea of them seeing one another and how that's going to be handled. Now, he or they both might get fired in some jobs, at least, as she is his boss, if they tried to alert others who might be helpful at keeping them and their work apart. So that may not be a solution. It may be, but it really depends on the company and if there are bylaws written in that that's a big no-no. So that may or may not be possible. Probably the worst case I ever had around this issue was when the wife decided that her answer was to install cameras in her husband's office, and he was the one who'd had an emotional affair. Now, I will say that before all this, the wife was far from stable, and they had a pretty strange dynamic already. He was very passive, but also took care of everything for her. She was emotionally domineering, but also very childlike and indecisive. So what went on after the cameras were in place just was chaotic. She grew obsessed, and the whole thing ended with him leaving the company anyway, and they stopped working with me because I was describing their chaotic decision-making as chaotic. (laughs) So let's talk about a much more reasonable approach. I do want to say that I've seen these kinds of approaches work when there's been an actual affair, but great care needs to be taken. There can be even more hurt about that and more obsessiveness. It really depends on a lot of factors. But here are five very tangible things. Number one, talk to the other person involved in the affair together, but privately. Let her know it's over. This may seem like it's silly. The doubters can say, well, he can see her tomorrow and take it all back. And that's right, of course. But if that kind of deception is going to happen, this whole thing won't work anyway. So what you don't want is for him to simply say to his wife, I've told her it's over. Or since she's his boss, I've told her we crossed a line and I don't want to cross it again. That also sets it up as a boundary violation if she doesn't toe the line. And doing it together can be a really good experience. It's not for everyone, but I think it can be really important. Again, I don't think it's the best thing for him because he's had the affair in this situation for him to do it by himself and just tell her he did it. I think they both need to be involved in the conversation. Now, it needs to be a calm conversation, not one that's wild and crazy. But So you have to wait until you're not so angry or not so hurt. Number two. 
Both of them need to sit down and talk about when the two people who work together are together and how that could possibly change. Is there a committee he can get off of? Can he request for his office or his cubicle to be moved? What are reasonable things that could be done to decrease the amount of either business-oriented or even casual meeting that could be eliminated or at least decreased? Again, this can feel very good in the short term. As he's saying, well, okay, let's sit and think what I could do. Maybe he could go in at a different time, stay later, go earlier, whatever. Number three, what's the timing of the management training? When during that training might he say that he's interested in another area of training or work? Again, what is reasonable? If not now, what could happen in six months? What could happen in a year? Just knowing they're agreeing to a timeline can be helpful. They're making the decision together. Number four, he needs to let her know when he sees his boss and answer his wife's questions about it. There are two goals here. He is as accurately as he can letting her in on what goes on at work. People who have an affair lose some privacy in their lives. It's the cost of the choice. Remember us talking about humility? It's definitely needed here. Gradually and hopefully, her questions will decrease as her trust in him grows. And for her, she wants and needs to allow trust to grow. No one wants either of these people five years from now to say, you know, I never got over that affair at the office. That is horrible. So as you move together with this, you really want to be as open and honest with each other as you can while you let trust grow. And number five. Since he had the affair with a boss, frankly, I'd get counsel from a lawyer about how to document that, so that if she comes on to him again, or maybe it was vice versa, he'll have some documentation of what he did, and if she fires or demotes him, that will also be documented, and that could be very, very important. I'm not necessarily for lawyering up all the time, but in this instance, you just never know what things are going to happen. And if she had an affair with him, she might do with other people, and that might be an actual problem in the work environment and would need to be discussed and taken care of. I hope those examples, very tangible examples, concrete examples, are helpful to you. I'm sorry that you've been hurt. I'm sorry your husband got attracted to someone else. The hard part about work around this area is that, of course, nothing justifies him looking outside the relationship for comfort or for attraction or for whatever it was. But the relationship does offer some context. That's what I talk a lot about in those articles or in the podcast if you want to listen. It's another tricky balance, but it's something that's very important to recognize. Thank you so much for being here once again at episode 365 for self-work. I'm delighted you were here. I'm going to tell you that Perfectly Hidden Depression has now been translated into eight or nine different languages and has been bought by a couple of other countries. All in all, it's 11. It's really astounding to me. But I had a sense that the message would be universal. And so I'm hoping that the book gets in the hands of the people who need to read it. And if you're one of those people, you said, ah, you know, I keep meaning to buy that book. You can get it in ebook, audiobook, or of course, as a paperback. Anywhere you buy books, or frankly, by now, at the library. All you have to do is ask for it. 
Keep those reviews coming in. I always appreciate them. Everybody needs a little pat on the back sometimes or some constructive criticism, whichever it is. Okay, thank you for being here. Please take good care of yourself, your family, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.